You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and this is my conversation with yet another excellent musician from the town of Perth in Western Australia. His name, Alex Arpino. The reason for the conversation is to promote Alex's brand new in-studio offering for 2018. It's a self-titled affair. So let's hear what Alex has to say about that and all of the other things he has to share about his wonderful music. Let's go. Mate, welcome to the show, Alex. Uh, you uh, formerly are the front man of the Autumn Isles, and you're just on the cusp of releasing your brilliant self-titled album. Tell us all about it. Yeah, well, I um, we finished up with the Autumn Isles in 2015, and I really uh, just kind of went back to the drawing board and to consider what I wanted to do. Um, I obviously had, you know, as a songwriter, it's always something that's there. So I just, I just really got into the studio without any expectation and just started to put some demos together and um, just really chipped away at it for, for quite a, you know, a couple of years and then um, just felt it was the right time to actually put it together and, and put it out as a solo record. Um, what's been enjoyable is obviously there's no real expectation and I could, I got to work with a couple of friends that um, in particular, Malcolm Clark um, of the Sleepy Jackson, he, came in and played drums on all the rec- on all the songs mm-hmm. um, but we've known each other for quite a while so it was a, it was a perfect kind of project to, to get together and and um, work on some stuff but um yeah it's really just a collection of um, influences that have just inspired me over the years and um, and it's probably a little bit more uh, personal lyrically because obviously mm-hmm. it's just myself video and um, but there's a lot of upbeat moments and more delicate moments, and I just really went for an eclectic kind of mix of songs. Yeah, I definitely hear that, and and I read online that you're a fan of a lot of the uh, the work that was released on the Sub Pop label and some of the Geffen stuff from the 90s, and I think that's very apparent on the track No One Has to Know, which is one of my favourite cuts on the album. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, I'm just picking one of the various influences that have made it onto the album, but can we talk about that for a moment? Yeah, so I was, um, you know, as a, as a young fella, I was, I, I probably started out more going through it like a, a hip hop kind of phase and I was into like graffiti art and, you know, did the whole break dancing thing and all the rest of it. And it was around, you know, for me, it was the sub pop, um, you know, Nirvana, Bleach, obviously, and then going on to Geffen with um, Nevermind. But that, um, I really did catch that whole Seattle bug and then that kind of moved into Sonic Youth and some of the more you know experimental bands but um no one has to know that was um you know i just really enjoy plugging in a distortion pedal and and finding a nice riff really and that that was the uh the the culmination of, of all of that and i wanted to have something that i suppose um you know represented that that period of time for me as well so that was that song really um yeah it's got a nice bite to it and driving beat and and mel clark on drums on that track i think just works really really well okay yeah sweet yeah it's it's a classy way to represent that era that's for sure i mean i'm a a massive fan of that era you know the early 90s because i'm I'm 40 years of age so that was my introduction to music sonic youth arches of loaf weezer nirvana and and that cut there is such a, it's a wonderful reference to it, but it, it's its not indicative of the sound of the album. And, and what I mean by that is probably my favourite cut uh, is Space Ghost in a Puppet. Now, that floored me, to be frank, mate. So can you tell me about that track? 
Yeah, that was actually the last song I put together for that out for this album, um, and it was actually built off of a drum groove from an outtake that I had, and uh, I just started to piece. I really liked the the, the, the drum beat and, and just um, you know plugged in a, a synth and started to work with that. Um, so it came together quite quickly, um, and lyrically, I was it was a little bit kind of tongue in cheek, and I, I didn't really know. Um, you know, whether it would get on the final list. But the more I listen to it, I, I, I equally really enjoy it. And I thought it would be a great introduction in the end for the, for the album as the first single. But um, oh, Is that right? I didn't know that. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's, yeah. it's it just the song just jumped out at me, not realising, of course, that it was a single, mate, but that's a great selection. Yeah, yeah. So that was the, that was the opening uh, single. So <clears throat> it was, um, and, and it was quite different for me because I've, usually built songs around guitar riffs and started, you know, acoustically and kind of layered songs from that point, whereas this, it came the other way, um, more of a groove-based track. And, um, yeah, I was just really proud of it. It was quite different, and um, I think it, yeah, just worked. So you mentioned the fella from the Sleepy Jacksons earlier. Can you talk about the musicians that helped you craft this? Did they have any say in the artistic direction, or was it just a case of you knowing exactly what you wanted to have on the album and you just drafted in great musicians to realize that vision. Yeah, absolutely. So it really started with, um, uh, yeah, finding, finding the right drummer. So yeah, Mal Clark came in for that. And then I pretty much p played everything else myself, uh, bar I got some friends in to play some brass. So, uh, Peter Yunkin, he plays in a great band here in Perth, uh, uh, community chest. Uh, so he played some trombone and trumpet and then Dylan Hooper, friend of mine, he plays in a band called Boom Bat Pow. Um, he's a great saxophone player. So he came in and did some sax on, on a track as well. And then beyond that, it was, uh, Amy Rosado. She's a great vocalist, uh, played in a, in a really cool, um, cover band in Perth called Stratus Funk. And, um, they Sounds recently great. just finished up. Stratus Funk, so that's an awesome was, um, name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she was um, interested. Yeah, I, I just reached out to uh, to her. So she came in and did some great backing vocals across a few of the tracks. And then Kirsten Fage, who I worked with on the last Autumn Isles record, she was, uh, plays cello, um, managed to get her on a couple of tracks as well before she took off to uh, Canada, I think it was, to further her studies. But um and that was about it, really. And everything else I, I just laid myself in the studio, um, hmm. which was really fun. Like, you know, in particular, playing bass, I think it's something that... Um, Is that right? I think, yeah, initially I was, um, I don't know, early on, I probably didn't give bass as much respect <laughs> as it actually deserves. But it's um, it's just such an integral part Um to music and and just being able to sit in the studio and piece together bass lines and stuff it's just really fun so that was a highlight as well well as regular listeners will know i'm a bass player mate so that's music to my ears and... oh well there you go there you go <laughs> yeah I... the right guy to have that discussion with then well I, I, look let's talk about this for a bit because i speak to a lot of musicians mate I, i've spoken to hundreds at this point in time and um the bass is an instrument that gets pushed to the background more often than not, but uh, it's a oh. it's an essential component when you really know what you're doing, like someone like yourself does. So talk to us about how you were able to actually talk to us about your journey from not really considering the bass as an integral part to considering an in integral part. I'm really curious on this one. 
Mm. Well, I it took me um, a while to understand that you don't approach a bass guitar like you do a six-string guitar. That was probably the first thing. And I think that the relationship with the drums um, was something that I had to really take some time and and just be a little bit smarter around the placement of the notes and things like that. And I'm not in any way saying that I, you know, like I'm proud of what I achieved on the record, but um, as you know, it's an instrument that takes a very long time to kind of master in particular when you're writing parts and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I think it just, it, when, when a bass line comes together, it really provides so much energy and drive um, and, and the heaviness as well. Like, you know, we mentioned that track, No One Has to Know. Um, majority, the, the heaviness for me came from the bass in that riff. Um, you know, whereas mm. I would have normally yeah, thought, oh, agreed. More I know what you're saying. You it's, like, it's like um, people don't necessarily understand the role that Chris Novoselic played in Nirvana sound, which, oh, exactly. which is crucial to, to that yeah, band. Absolutely. Yeah, the success yeah. of the sound, really. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, and you know, and as a three piece as well, like it's just amazing. So, um, yeah, it was really that. Um, so I, I took, you know, I invested in a in a in a decent um, base, and uh, you know, took a bit more time trying to understand and in the production as well. You know, uh, mm. getting a good DI and and you know, did a bit more reading around the placement and the mix and things like that. So. Um, but no, it was great. So, what sort of what sort of bass did you end up recording the tracks on the album with? So it was a uh, Fender Jazz bass. Good choice, great um, choice. Yeah, so I did a little bit of research. I didn't, I, you know, it's it's a um, it's not an, a US one, unfortunately, but um, it's a Mexican. But look, it, it's a beautiful bass, um, and I, I put flat wounds on it. Um, bit of roto sound cool. action, yep. Yeah, and then I've got I've got an older. Um, it's a, it's a you know it, it's not as good quality, but it's an old PV bass which I got years ago for something, and it's just kind of sat in my studio. But um, I just put some standard strings on that one, and I found the variation between the two really covered covered me across the album. Um, so yeah. And then I also um, spent a bit of time um, with some synth bass lines as well on the record, oh, which is, right. is really different. I've never, I've never done that before on any previous recordings. So um, actually the bass line on Space Ghost in a puppet is a synth. Um, there you I go. No, but, uh, I've been listening to it through the car speakers, you know, through the Bluetooth thing. So uh, when that cut came on, I was like, yeah, you know, how to write a bloody song if you can write that there's no doubt but i haven't really <laughs> deep dived into it and been able to separate the the instrumentation but i'll tell you this story quickly i had a chat to a fellow called ron francois who's one of the finest bass players that ever existed in my view uh, he's a brit born i'm going to call him an honorary australian these days he uh He's been here for about 30, 40 years or thereabouts, but uh, he was a bass player in a band called Eurogliders. You've probably heard of them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, phenomenal. I had a, about a two-hour conversation with him about the role of the bass guitar and about when you're playing music that is bass-centric, how that relates to people. And the truth is, mate, mm -hmm. I've, I've been... I've played, because I'm a Queenslander, I've played in rural locations in Queensland. 
again, long-time listeners will know I've told this story before, but I've had people to yell at me to stop playing slap bass because they don't understand it because I play funk-style bass, mm -hmm. very heavily influenced mm -hmm. by guys like Bernard Edwards. Uh, Larry Graham got a big block-mounted poster of him in my little office here that I'm staring at. I try to inject that sort of funk into the music that I play, but people just don't get it. I yeah. find it's very hard to relate to rock and roll audiences as they are, no doubt as they are in Western Australia, as they are here in Queensland. And and as, mm. soon, as soon as we play as a covers artist, as soon as we play stuff that I don't care much for, to be quite frank, with all due respect to the artists, such as Steve Earle's Copperhead Road or just oh, about yeah. any ACDC stuff, no disrespect yeah. to the artist at all, but as a bassist, there's nothing doing. But yeah. that's what people want to hear. So, But I really like your story about how you found time for the bass, you know, because I, I obviously... I'm a rarity in that the bass is the first instrument. Actually, the clarinet is the first instrument that I started with. But I ended up on the bass, yep. and that's that's my career instrument. But I also played guitar as a result of playing the bass. So I'm not one of those guys who played the guitar and moved across to the bass. It's the opposite. And uh, I hear everything yeah. as a bass player still. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. Absolutely. So, um, and it, it, I think it, it's certainly, um, in terms of my ears, looking out for the bass line when I'm listening to music, it's um, it's opened that up for me a lot more. So, um, yeah, I look forward to doing more of it in the studio. Something else I liked, really liked about your album is the, is the attention to detail. Now, I'll refer to the album cover art there because I'm a big fan of really good cover art. You know, I know we live in an era where people consume music over devices. So they rarely mm. glance at the energy and the effort that an artist has put into it. But I read online that you do large-scale urban art and murals. So I can only assume that you've also done the cover art for your album here. So if that's the case, tell yeah, us all about it. Yeah, so uh, this I decided uh, with this album I really wanted to put it out on vinyl. And uh, obviously that gives us uh, it gives a larger um, canvas to work on. So I really thought it would be good to get some... Um, you know, really take some time to get some beautiful illustrations. And I, I'd recently got a um, iPad Pro, and I'd been experimenting with uh, digital painting and and doing all of that. So I thought that this would be um, a great project to to kind of jump into that. So it was all done on my iPad Pro um, with an Apple Pencil and just uh, digitally painted. Um, so it probably took me. I worked on it over a period of about three weeks on and off. Um, so there's a lot of illustration inside because uh, it's a full gatefold vinyl that I've gone for. So there's some illustrate, you know, artwork inside, and also um, put together uh, with a friend of mine, Dan Durak, a, uh, a lyric sheet that pulls out and everything. So oh, I've gone well done on that. Yeah, I really dived into it because I, I agree with you. I, I think you know the, the streaming age. That's one of the things that's really that we're missing out on is all the beautiful artwork that um, that was just quite common across, you know, the vinyl period. And so yeah. it's something that I am really passionate about. And yeah. Well, look, I I straddle. I see a lot of positives about this day and age we live in with streaming, um, YouTube, the whole thing. I embrace it. I see a lot that. Uh, is um, allows an artist to get the, the the big positive to it is it allows an artist such as yourself to get a, to get your music out to as broad a possible people as what you possibly can without relying on a distribution network in that mm. traditional sense. I think Firestarter do a wonderful job, by the way. Hence, you and I can have a conversation about this stuff. It's it's yeah. but yeah. but it's it's more so that that's the positive to it. The negative to it is that is that people aren't paying enough attention to music 
in my view. Okay. Now, when an artist like yourself, I'm looking at your cover art here now, so if I can describe it to the listener, in the top left-hand corner, you've got a cosmos. and the top right, you've got the moon. There's yourself with some aqua blue and some green hues in the middle of it. You're, you're represented here three times. So I'll ask you about that, actually, before I continue. Is there a reason why you've been represented three times? As in your, your profile of your face has been represented three times in the art? Um, yeah, look, I, I think it... For me, it was about kind of representing different shades of, I suppose, the writing really on the on the record because it is a bit of an eclectic uh, mix of songs. I think um, so. Yeah, I tried to represent that in the different tones of the faces. Um, so I think the one on the left has got the sunglasses, Spot on. The, you know, yeah. the sun stuff. It's a bit more of a like a pop thing, and then I suppose I would put the uh, the central one is it's you know it's quite a stark direct kind of expression i think that that's maybe represents the you know the honesty that's gone into into it lyrically mm -hmm. and then the, um maybe the one on the right probably more reflects to my past and maybe um you know the heavier kind of material on there as well so um yeah i think that that's a, a general thing i i tend to approach things fairly intuitively um for that i i had more of a um i suppose just a, more of a design perspective of wanting to get the different kind of vibe um in the album cover so mm -hmm. um but yeah um, I'm, thing, really, I'm really happy with the piece oh it's beautiful and the other thing too from, from the listener's perspective is that uh for people listening sorry is that is that you've got your hand in there with a pencil writing. So is, yeah. I mean, is the, the <laughs> pencil's obviously a very deliberate choice. So tell us about that. Yeah, so I, I like the idea of it, um, you know, being a kind of a moment in terms of, you know, journal writing, things like that. Um, and as I said, lyrically, I've, I've really taken the time to, you know, I think in the past I've probably relied on more kind of metaphor or, or vague um, approaches lyrically, where it's, um, there is a bit more of a literal sense in, on this record. So I just thought okay. it would be interesting to, to capture that visually, that it's it's like a personal a moment writing. And in terms of a pencil, it just, I don't know, I think they just look cooler <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, from, a, from, a, from a design perspective, you know. Um, just getting different angles on the on the pencil and stuff like that. Tell us about talking about the lyrical themes. Tell us about the second cut. I remember you dancing with the devil. Yes. <laughs> so that's um, that's I think well, it's really about um, essentially about temptation and getting drawn into something that's obviously not going to lead anyone to anything positive. Um, I thought it would be fun to do. Um, it's, it's quite a, it's got a bit of an 80s pop vibe, that, that song. And I think that particular era, um, there was a lot, you know, there would always be some heartbreak um, in the lyric. <laughs> I think that that comes, that comes with the territory. So for me, um, that one, not so much a literal um, thing, but, you know, certainly there's been times in my life where maybe I've been, um, you know, had my heart broken on in terms of getting... 
um, led astray or haven't acted on an opportunity, you know, just common <laughs> stuff that everyone kind of faces yep. from time to time. But, I think that, um, that, like, that point you just made, they haven't acted on an opportunity. We've all been there as as <laughs> as human beings, right, where we just, we, we're driving home yeah. or what have you and we're going, oh, I didn't read the signs or we find out through a mate that somebody was interested. I'm, I'm happily married. I need to exactly. say that. So I'm not thinking that way now, but I'm talking about yeah, in the yeah, past. Exactly. You know, and exactly. you think... And that, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's and the, it. that's it's about that, it's, and it's flirting with that temptation, um, and it's it's about you know obviously that um, somewhat of a battle in terms of that um, willpower mm. and things like that. And I thought it would just be fun to summarise that as a as a pop song that has those kind of eighties uh, references in there as well. Cool. Now I need to ask this question, as I ask every artist from Perth this, because I'm curious for each and every response. Perth, in my view, is the hotbed of Australian music in 2017 and 2018. So what's your take on what is contributing to Perth producing such wonderful artists, such as yourself, you know, right the way across the board? It's not just with pop and rock-themed artists. You know, you've got guys mm. like Reams over there and doing the hip-hop thing, um, Rat King doing the grind thing. It's... There are so many bands producing so much wonderful music. What's your perspective on the Perth scene? It's a real, it's a tough one because I can only really um, go by my own personal um, journey and experience in that. And I, I think, I think being quite a small, tight knit community, it does generate a um, a healthy competitive edge. I think that might have something because I know for me. Um, working with peers and, you know, if they've released something that's really inspiring, you, you just get, you're inspired to kind of better it, match it. Um, you know, you want to kind of contribute to, um, you know, to that scene. So um, that's something that's driven me along. As far as um, why and how, it's it's a very interesting one. I don't know you know, because people have spoken about the isolation, that maybe the isolation has something to do with it, that we have to kind of rely on ourselves to create... Do you feel isolated in Perth? I mean, these days we're such an interconnected global community. You could be in the far reaches of Alaska, for example, and still feel like as though you're part of a community. But do you you genuinely feel that way, or is that just the the legacy of Perth Um, being the most isolated capital city in the globe? I, I think from a music perspective in terms of engaging a national um, music industry I think there is a sense there is a somewhat of a sense of isolation because it just you know for for bands to get over east and play it's it's such it's such a mission to to get together the funds yeah, and organize it. yeah. it's, it's quite challenging so I think on that level and I think that you know obviously national radio and all of that it's all based over there it's not you know, it, it you, you need to really get over there and engage over east. So I think on that level, you do feel somewhat isolated. But I think as well, as you were saying, that we live in a different age and um, that that's becoming less and less. Cause, and, and you mentioned the streaming thing as well. Hmm. Everything's so accessible online and um, communication's a lot easier. So I think that that's, that's changing slowly. But... Um, Hmm. But yeah, I, I do think that the isolation 
thinking this probably has some merit to it for sure. Cool, mate. All right, look, I'll wind things up. Um, how do people get in touch with you? So obviously you'll have Facebook, but how else can they communicate with you and listen to your wonderful music once it's released at the end of this week? Uh, so the record will be on SoundCloud as well. So it'll be across all streaming, major streaming platforms, uh, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Um, the, the vinyl is still, I'm still awaiting its uh, delivery from the UK. So that's probably a few weeks away. But um, How many, just available. just on that point, how many copies have you got being delivered? Because as I say, I mean, I'll, I'll buy one, mate. It's, I mean, the, from the album cover art to the music that you've got on it, it's, it's one of those essential uh, items that, that I feel uh, for, is, has been released in 2018. So have you got a limited yeah, but, number released? Or? Um, yeah, so this run is 250 um, for a first run. So get in there quick, uh, I think. So, be, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, just uh, get in touch via um, Bandcamp. It's also uh, available through CD Baby. Um, can be ordered through that. And I'll, mm -hmm. um, you know... For, Obviously, for Perth, it'll go locally to some of the stores. Um, no plans at this stage to get it to stores over east, um, so it'll probably be mainly online. Um, beyond that, yeah, all the usual stuff, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I've got a YouTube channel. I've really been spending quite some time putting together videos. I would encourage you to, to go to my YouTube channel and check out some uh, <laughs> put together a pretty fun video for I Remember You Dancing with the Devil. Um, What's the feedback been like on, on the platform there? Because there's always, uh, in my view with YouTube, there's always a lot of nasty comments on that one there, you know, the trolling thing. So you've you've avoided that or have you found that people have sort of gone on there and just used it as an opportunity to vent? Um, well, look, because it's early days, like I don't have, you know, a massive following or anything on YouTube. Majority of the engagement for me has been on Facebook and Instagram. But um, hmm. So really for me at the moment, YouTube's just a, a place to, to put the, the videos up so people can see them in a, in a high definition and, and all the rest of it. But yeah, so far it's been really, really positive. Um, and I, I'm planning to, to make some more videos for this album because I think it's just an, an interesting um, medium to, to explore. And I, I've been lucky enough to to meet up with a local um, video producer um, by the name of Jaeger. He's uh, got a company, Wise Productions, mm. and he's been really positive, um, and so it's, he's really helped put together some pretty fun uh, videos for, and Space Ghost and a Puppet we did a video for as well. So oh, wicked. Check that out. Hey, look, just the final point, I only, I only make this because it's something that I think a lot of artists struggle with, but I, I notice your, your Facebook following is at about 100 and. 110 or thereabouts how do you legit how do you feel you legitimately increase that following because you're playing a type of music that's very accessible and can be played in a variety of applications and situations so myself for example who has a five-year-old and a three-year-old i can play your music very comfortably around them and i think a lot of people yeah. like me that are musical appreciators mate so how do you cut through and get your name heard across all these social yeah. media platforms of course facebook's the big one though um, well, look, that's, it's early days. Like that particular page I set up in, um, well, it was the end of March when Space Ghost and a Puppet came out. So that was the very first kind of jump into it. Um, I've been mindful not to do the whole, hey, you know, to... Yeah, kind of, the, 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 what, the spam thing, you know, where you just yeah, like me, like, like me. I, 
Yeah, exactly. I've promoted a couple of videos because I think just to get it out. But as far as pushing the page to get, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to build um, like a genuine fan base from the ground up. So yeah. um, all of the people that are... Yeah, so I understand what you said then completely. Yeah, that's what I've tried yeah, to do as but, well. Yeah, yeah. so um, I'm, I'm, I, personally, I'm not too anxious about it. I'm, I'm just wanting things to kind of build organically and, and um, I think that that's, you know, because I want people to, to genuinely be interested and want to engage. And if that means that that's 100 to... 200 to a thousand or whatever then that that's fine with me i'm not i'm not too bothered about that um there was a time in my life where i would be stressing out about all of that mm. particularly in my last band but i i don't think that that's very helpful at all no I think, agreed um, it's a, it, and it's a distraction i think the focus needs to be on just the quality output um the strength agreed. of the material yeah 100% agreed and you've got nothing to worry about nothing to be anxious about with the quality of your music here what people are trying to do these days, sorry, I know I said we'd wind it up, but I need to make this point for, for the listener, is that a lot of people are putting the cart before the horse and that they're getting this wonderful online presence, but the music, to be honest with you, isn't really there. You've got the music. You've got the music that can cut through, and God, I'll make another point here within this, this point that I'm making now, but I think your music would be wonderful for the Asian market. We, My wife's half Filipino. We spend a lot of time in, in the Philippines. Your music, I could imagine, being played in the clubs over there very easily, very easily, and it's just plant yeah. the seed for you on that one there because I think Aussie artists, mate, we're missing a wonderful opportunity within Asia, which is on our doorstep. Indonesians, uh, uh, Indonesia is a country, big music fans. Their president has been photographed wearing Napalm Death T-shirts before he was president. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is what's available to us, right? It's right yeah. here, you know, Malaysia. I mean, it's it's... Thailand. I mean, we we all we a lot of Aussies, have been, especially being from Perth, have been to Bali. It's probably cheaper to go to Bali yeah. than it is to go to Sydney. You know, um, yep. it's it's all on our doorstep, mate. I think it just needs a few enterprising individuals to take those first first steps. And I know people are trying to do it, but yeah, just to break that market and get those established contacts and just make it happen. And with your music, mate, and your management team, I'd really encourage you to look in that direction because I think it'd bear fruit. Yeah, wow. That's, thanks for the, the tip. I'll certainly uh, look into that. Yeah. All right, mate. It's been a wonderful chat. Congratulations on the album. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that was my conversation with the musician Alex Arpino. I really appreciate you listening.